All right, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. We are here today with Patrick Wright and Keith Mercier of CBiz Insurance, and we're going to be talking about risk management, um, more, more along the lines of, um, you know, there's insurance products we talk about, but you guys have really kind of opened our eyes and helped out several of our clients just managing risks in the business and approaching it from a, a strategic standpoint. So go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your practice and, and the types of businesses that you work with. You want to go? All right. So I'm Patrick Wright. Uh, we've been with CBiz for going on four years, maybe four years in August. Um, we handle commercial insurance for our clients and also employee benefits. Uh, we're one of the few that, uh, that do both. Uh, Keith and I have been partnered together for probably since 2012, 13, something like that. And uh, the types of clients, it, it varies. We, we work with clients uh, throughout the country. Uh, it could be construction, could be uh, uh, assisted living, uh, some health care, uh, you name it. Uh, we're, I would consider ourselves uh, generalists um, as far as that goes. We don't necessarily have a niche. Um, if there would be any niche, I would think it would be uh, you know, more. a lot of our clients are a little bit more sophisticated than, than some. But... Uh, uh, that's it. Go ahead. I'm Keith Mercier. I'm the president of CBiz for the West Coast of Florida. Um, been uh, This is my 24th year in the industry. I grew up in the industry. My father had an agency. So it was just kind of a natural progression after college to come in and, and, um, and, and go into insurance uh, in risk management. But uh, I agree with Patrick. I mean, our, our, our client clients uh, range from manufacturing, distribution, construction, um, Habitational, that those those type of things, and and we also when we try, we try to also incorporate the employee benefits into um, our risk management approach, because in some cases, you could have something that's on the workers' comp side that could bleed into a health insurance uh, issue in question. And the way I've always looked at it is, I'm a certified risk manager. If we can't understand the number two spend because number one is payroll, number two is usually benefits. If we can't understand that, then what kind of risk manager am I at the end of the day? So that makes us definitely unique in the marketplace, and I would, and, uh, we do have accounts around the country, which um, I'd rather write all the accounts on the west coast of Florida, but sometimes you get referred in, and, and uh, where it makes sense, we go after those, uh, those relationships, and uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, yeah. relationships. We're the conduit between the insurance company and the client. So it can be a, a high wire act sometimes. All right. So when you guys get involved in a, in a new account, uh, even like I would say like before, uh, we've definitely introduced you to clients where, where we thought they needed a little bit more strategic approach to, to looking at mm-hmm. uh, managing their risk. And you guys have what I would consider to be kind of a unique process. It's the first time I've seen it uh, in working with insurance agents for 20 years in this business. Um, you know, we bring somebody in, and, and you never, you know, a lot of times they're they're gonna start right off with product. A lot of times they're they've got their kind of favorites that they want to put people in. But you guys take a much different approach. So talk a little bit about how you get started with that. Well, I'll take I'll I'll, I'll start because uh, if I don't get a few words in, uh, Keith won't uh, let me. <laughs> um, and, I, and and we take Probably this true. stuff very seriously. We'll we'll hack it up and we'll have some fun today. But uh, you know, as much fun as you can talking about insurance, but. Um, you know, we take it very serious. Uh, we really do. And you, you, know, you mentioned new, you know, a prospect. You know, in our opinion, um, you're not really a prospect if you don't let us get under the hood 
if you don't give us your policies for us to get to the audit point, um, it's not really a, a pro you're not really a prospect in our eyes, uh, and that's okay. Um, you know, we've 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 walked a lot of times. Um, actually, not a lot of times. We walk here and there where we'll say, you know, it's just not an opportunity, and we understand it. Or we may just only do one side of it. We may just do the employee benefits. But um, for us to really truly get an understanding and do an audit, and uh, you know, you you need to, uh, you know get all the policies and, and, and do a thorough, thorough review and you know we need to know where we're at before we even get started yeah I think if you what I've learned over time if you boil it down to its essence the entry fee into our industry is very small so um, back in my day all the way back in 96 when I was licensed 97 you had to sit in a classroom for three or four months and do 240 hours worth of classroom time pass a state examination and you could get your property and casualty license Nowadays, it's 200 hours online. You pass the state examination, and you're a property and casualty agent. Um, on the benefits side, it's 40 hours online, and you pass the state examination, and you can be a benefits agent. So when you look at it, there's a lot of insurance agents out there. So we had to find a way to differentiate ourselves uh, at the end of the day because most agents are a bid quote mentality. Give me your policies. I'm just going to go out bid quote, bid quote. And they've trained buyers quite well to do that you know well you got to go bid on it well let's first of all let's take a look at the policies because you know your premium is your premium and a lot of times we can get the policies and they block the premium out and that's fine i really that i want to look at the coverages yeah a lot of agents don't they go right into oh this this the this is what it costs or this is the premium but what happens if there's an exclusion on the back end of the policy that that the client doesn't know exists I mean, there's been some that uh, we've worked with you guys on that uh, that we found out that international sales was excluded, you know, and, and they did international sales. And okay. so, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen is that there, it, it, you have a claim and you think you have coverage and you, and you don't have it. And so our process is by design been unique to, um, it, to, to really analyze what coverage is that the client has in place, you know, and... and and you know, come back with a deliverable and a product and a game plan on how to improve what they currently have in their program. So when you do those policy audits, um, and you're looking, like you said, I like what you said. Like we don't really care about the premium. I mean, the, the, no. you guys are going to go out and bid everything competitively anyway. So at the end of the day, whether you're using one insurance agent or another, if they're doing their work competently in the in the bid process, and you know, getting getting the quotes back from the carriers, then everybody should be fairly competitive. Uh, well, a lot of it's too. It's education too. A lot of people say to us, "Well, we're, we want you to bid on it," and they're in a class of business that they may only have two carriers that would even write it in the first place. Right. Well, what are you bidding on? Pick your horse. Pick someone that understands what you do and understands, uh, you know, how to you know, what what exposures you you have or what limits you should have. And go with that person. Don't, you know, try to get someone to bid on things when, when you have two carriers. Yeah. And it happens all the time. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, the, the premium the, the premium obviously matters. We want to bring in the best, the most, you know, competitively priced product we can. But we want to make sure that we're covering all of our bases from a coverage standpoint, period, at the, at the end of story. And if done right, I mean, we've worked through some renewals um, uh, with, with your clients where before we place coverage, we're getting policy forms and talking about exclusions that exist, and can they can they live with that, you know? And um, and, and it's it's a great process to, to come in and sit and talk like that, and not just go well, here's your proposal, here's your premium. Let's talk about exactly what the coverage is, in case there is a claim. 
So everyone's on the same page. You talked about exclusions. So those are areas that um, the carriers have said, uh, we're going to cover your general liability or we're going to cover your property and casualty except for these specific activities sure. or these specific types of assets or so that's um you know the exclusions are one of those things that are is that like the fine print of an insurance policy is that the stuff that's kind of in the buried in the last 40 pages you know last few pages of a 40 page document correct um 100% i mean the well, it's black and white it'll be a big excluded it, yeah, yeah well <laughs> exclusion yeah it, it's um it's it's a contract at the end of the day the insurance policy right so it, they, it's clearly spelled out. One of the things that's interesting, one of the new trends that we're seeing because of all the unfortunate active shooter incidents, we just had one the other day in Milwaukee, right, um, is that carriers are now putting firearms exclusions on general liability policies. So that's opened up a whole sub-market of, of, of other carriers that are willing to pick up that risk and exposure uh, for an active shooter. So th- those are the type of things that you've always got to be up on the trends. We have a whole another part, in, and I don't know if we've, we really uh, talked about this with you guys, but we have a whole policy check-in process because what happens is, is you order a policy, you bind a policy, and then the policy comes in. You have to have a process of checking it in. Is what I ordered ex- exactly what the insurance company sent me? A lot of agencies sure. don't do that. And what happens is what you could have bound, all of a sudden there were no exclusions on the quote, but all, they show up in the policy when they come in. And then we have to go back and go, no, 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 here's exactly what you quoted. Remove this. So, you know, there's too much with the size accounts that, that, that you guys have and that you guys consult with and that we have. There's too much at stake um, from a professional liability standpoint alone for us not to have those processes in sure. place. But it, it, it's, it's, it does shock me sometimes when I see um, agencies not having those processes in place. To me, it's all about process. What are, what are some of the other things you guys find in the policy audit besides the exclusions? Is there, is there kind of or other don't kind find, of, or, or things we don't find? What are the usual restaurant and uh, you have a bar and uh, you sell liquor in the restaurant? You have a you know liquor exclusion. So we've seen it all. I think what what happens is because everyone's so busy um, these days and in the economy is, is is has been going well the past several years is that uh, limits don't get updated. It's just automatic, things are automatically renewed. And so we like to, to, to peel that back and go, okay, when's the last time you had an appraisal? Especially if it's a large property schedule. We're working on one we have next week, $90 million probably in property value. When's the last time they had an appraisal? How, how, how does that process work? You know, and, and also with some of the clients that we worked on with, with you all, um, they've had, they have older vehicles on their policy. You know, they may have a 1995 Tacoma on it. They've got comp- comprehensive and collision on it. And it's like, well, the thing's not worth anything. Right. When, it, when the claim is settled, it's on actual cash value. So we dig in and look for that. Also, one of the things, especially as we go towards hurricane season, is uh, business income, uh, business interruption insurance. How is the revenue going to be replaced if your business is knocked down? A lot of times those limits aren't, aren't looked at or a business income worksheet is not completed by their CFO to really true up what the true exposure is. You, you, we all remember all too well Hurricane Charlie because it hit close to us a little farther south than where we are today. A lot of businesses went out of business because they didn't have enough business income coverage. So that's a big one that we always target and in, in, in look for. And then obviously what, what Patrick had said about 
what are the other exclusions in the policy, et cetera. I mean, that, those are, you know, those are very important. Well, simple things, too. You know, there's just property. You know, you're paying for property. We just recently, you know, uncovered one that uh, the guy was paying for a piece of property for eight years that he didn't even have. Yeah, right. I mean, how do those things happen? So that was an interesting one yeah. because I said to him, "Well, this must be your Pittsburgh location," and he goes, "We haven't been in there in eight over eight years." Well, it had just kept renewing and renewing, and he had been paying. It wasn't a I lot, think but it was over eight years. It, it was over eight years. It was a it was a big number, and that you know that was just a shame that, that there was money that could have been redirected to other resources for the business. I'm not necessarily saying you put it back into your insurance program. But it was a big enough number. He could have bought a truck. Yeah, you know, well, something like he that. He'd been paying for cyber every year instead of a piece of property he didn't even have. Correct. Redirected to some other, you know, higher limit. This, that, whatever. Right. When you um, when you when you talk about renewing coverage, I think you guys are kind of in the same realm as like a lot of uh, like CPAs are in this this boat. Um, banks are in this boat, like you don't change those relationships very frequently because the, there's a lot of perceived pain and suffering. Like I've got to go, I got to go meet another CPA, you know, and the, I'm a CPA, so I can say this, like they don't have the reputation as being the most gregarious, easy to, to meet, easy to get along with, easy <laughs> yeah. to build a new relationship no, wait, with. Wait till they see us coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so talk for a second about, you know, just getting into that. I, I hear what you're saying, getting into that autopilot mentality of just renew, renew, renew. Um, is this something, I mean, obviously, you know, we don't encourage our clients to go out and look for a new consultant every three years to, you know, but, but what do you, what would you tell a business that's, that's had the same agent for eight, 10, 12 years? And, and, you know, there's a lot of loyalty there and we've dealt with, we have personal knowledge with you guys of situations just like this, you know, so, um, it's not an easy thing to do, but oftentimes like that is where you find some of the biggest issues. Agreed. One of the hardest things, to to your point, is having the client come to the decision that they have to fire their current agent and hire us. And we're very transparent with that. We'll come back with our risk management audit, and nine times out of ten, there's 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 just issues because things have, re- have renewed or th- there hasn't been strategic discussions. I mean, we we try to look at things three years down the line. What what's the marketplace going to look like in, in in three years? And, you know, we'll be, we'll be transparent and say, well, in order for us to move forward, you need to fire your current agent and hire us. And I know it's not a decision that's made lightly because what's going to happen is, is the other agent who may have been there for eight years, 10 years. So the one that we're going on on Tuesday is a 30-year relationship. Now it's a newer agent that's been assigned to the account, but that's, that's obviously a very long time. So why, what's going to be their motivation uh, to do that? And so that, that's something we always have to talk through and work through. And I think, though, if you uncover enough bad stuff, the decision becomes easier. But, they, but the client has to be prepared that the agent's going to come back. And we always say with the wine and cheese basket, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning Hockey tickets. tickets, you know, you, know, and, you and, want to go to the Masters, you know, whatever. That, I mean, we, we've, seen it, we've seen it all, and we just prep them. Because at the end of the day, it's it's for the most part not that hard to make the agent change because we all represent pretty much the same insurance companies. There may be a special contract we have here or there or some other agent may have here or there that makes it a little more difficult. But for the most part, the world is flat with what we do, which is why we have to come up with this unique process. And I think that that once once they catch the, the flick, 
they, they'll, they're willing to make those decisions. And then once they get, you know, indoctrinated into how we, what our process is, it's, it's a lot harder for, you know, we don't lose a lot of business because of that. You know, it's very thorough. You've seen it, Joey. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it, you both have seen it. It's, it's, it's very thorough. We go through, okay, is this location still here? Is this here? I mean, is this here? Well, let's look at the, 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 the driver list, you know, the, the vehicle list, this, this. I mean, you, you do those things like you're supposed to. You, it's not, you know, uh, you know enough about uh, the relationships that we have uh, the, between each other that we don't see these people once a year. Right. Well, yeah, I'm going to get to that a little bit later because that that's also kind of a standout piece that we've experienced firsthand. Um, but park in the, you know, spend a little bit more time on the front end uh, of some of these changes that the business owners might make. Um, one of the things that also struck me about your process is, is bringing the business owner inside what the process actually looks like. And, you know, I remember conversations like, oh, you know, you've got a great safety record. We're probably going to be able to get more people to look at you, even though you're in, in an industry where they typically won't look at you. And, you know, you guys would even go so far as to name the prospective carriers that you thought would be mo most interested. And then with auto, you know, here's what's been happening in the legal landscape with auto liability and and prepare yourself because it's not going to be pretty and we've got to right size your policy in addition to bear the brunt of who's who's hearing this and saying, you know, we have kind of been on autopilot and maybe I want to reach out to my existing agent and just be a little bit more engaged. How much do they need to know about the process of renewals and, and what does that look like and when should they start that given that let's just say they have like a January 1 renewal date? Sure. Um, I I think, you know, one of the things that uh, Patrick and I pride ourselves on is that we do know on every one of our accounts the CEO. Um, definitely the CFO and the senior management team and I think that's, you know, very important. Um, sometimes when you look on the benefit side of the house, or the benefit salesperson may only just know the HR director. You know, and that to me is not good enough. I mean, they bring value to the organization, don't get me wrong, but the more to me that the CEO and CFO are educated, the, the, the better the process flows. They can understand what's going on in the marketplace. I mean, we meet with our bigger accounts, usually quarterly, if not more often, and to discuss marketplace changes and what's going on. As far as your question on, on if you had a January 1 renewal, to me it's all about process, all about process. So we, we have internally a service schedule set up for each one of our accounts where we know when the time is that we're going to sit and sit down with the, the, you know, the folks. If it's a January 1 renewal date, then sure enough, in April we're going to be, you know, we're going to be talking, and then it'll be a quarterly, and then in June we're going to be talking, and then once we get over June and it gets to September, we're really in the renewal process. We work 150 days in advance of the renewal to start, you know, having the conversations with the client. What's changed? What's going on? What, you know, um, have your sales grown? Have they gone down? Have you, you know, what have you, what are you looking to project? Are you going to be making a, an acquisition? You know expanding into other markets then we're gathering information about 120 days out now it depends on the insurance company some insurance companies will accept an application 120 days in advance of the renewal some are 90 but as long as we have those updated exposures we're getting the information put together and we're getting it teed up to market and there are some of our clients that are happy with their insurance companies and they don't want to market every year there are some classes of business, and you guys know them, um, some of the contracts, especially in the contracting side, uh, where we do look 
to market every year because terms and conditions can change, exclusions can uh, can change. So you, you're th that, that's really the process for us from a renewal standpoint. And I think that the more that the CEO and CFO and senior management team are engaged, the smoother the process goes. I mean, you're talking about people that are spending. We won't look at an account normally unless it generates a hundred thousand in premium. It's a lot of money, you know. And you know, we've got some that are spending in excess of two point five million. You want so the C-suite wants to be engaged, right, right? At the end of the day, and the more they know about the process, I just think. The well, and to, to back to your point too, I mean, you, you want to upset a CEO or a CFO show up two weeks or a week before the renewal and say, oh, by the way, your auto renewal is going to be just uh, atrocious. Right. No, no, no. Right. We do that way ahead of time, like he said, you know, 120, 190, 300 days ahead of time. If we know it's going to be bad next year and you're renewing January, we did one this year uh, uh, or last year in January where we got it all buttoned up, 1231. We were meeting with them 10 days later to talk about the, the renewal for this year because it was going to be that bad. Yeah. So if Just you know it's coming, coming yeah. get ahead of it, communicate, 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 and walk through it. And that they're, they're much happier about that. Yeah, with claims activity on that uh, account, uh, exactly. we had no choice. Had to. We did a seminar recently um, for our clients, and it, it was interesting. I, can, I made the comment at the seminar because one of my competitors, one of our competitors said it was on the state of the marketplace because the marketplace is, is changing rapidly in front of our eyes. Pricing is going up like I haven't seen in probably 10 years. Uh, in various lines, auto being one, property being uh, the other. And I told the competitors, I said, well, you know, what are you guys up to? I said, well, we're doing this seminar just on the state of the marketplace and, and the rate increases that our clients could potentially be seeing. And if they're a distressed account and they've had claims, boy, that could be 50 to 100% higher. And the competitor goes, well, why would you do that? I mean, that may have them go out and shop. They may <laughs> shop you. And then I thought to myself, gosh, it's so short-sighted. I, I, would, I would, you know, do you Can not you have... give me a list of your clients? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you not have relationships with your folks, with, with, with your clients to, to, to you know, I, to me, an educated, it's, it goes so much better when the, when the buyer's educated. Yeah. When we come across a, a buyer that's not educated, that's bid quote, brings in three or four or five agents every year, that's just a sign that we just we walk. If we can't get them to see how our process works, and that's just not a prospect for us. And you know, over time, you know, being an older guy now in the industry, when when you're younger, that's hard to do to walk away because you're trying to grow your book of business. But ultimately, it's the right thing to do. So when we counsel some of our younger salespeople, I I think it's they struggle with that concept of not everyone is 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 a prospect they're just and we not. do that with clients too and prospects nothing wrong with counseling them on the same exact thing what he just said yeah. you may not be a prospect if that's that that's your if you like doing that every year and you don't see the value of what we do you guys have seen it yeah well and, and we've also seen you basically say we've looked at these policies and they look great great yeah and there's, we do, and there's, we do there's not, not much often, that we would we do, do different yeah. you know um they tend to be simpler cases you know where sure. it's a little bit more yep. cut and dried i think one of the biggest things i'm hearing is uh you said that you know we're all going to be shopping the same carriers you know we're all going to be representing Correct. the same carriers but that carrier is going to write 100 policies and 100 policies are going to be different in terms of the exclusions and you know, wh what that particular contract looks like for that particular business. And you just can't take it for granted that I, I guess what I'm hearing, too, is if I'm a business owner 
and I'm two months out from my renewal date, and I call my agent, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we got plenty of time. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's a red right. flag where you're kind of like, Total well, red flag. Yeah. Or look, the renewal looks good. We, we, we're, we're good. We probably, you know, we'll just stay where we're at or whatever. I mean, right. you know, not say we, we move or, or, you know, advocate moving, you know, carriers every year. We'd never do that. We'd like the consistency. But, you know, you, you do have to go out and, and do it from time to time and, and you know. Yeah, but you hit on something earlier, Joey, about safety and, and, you know, and safety does pay. There's no question about it. It's our job to use, because we have um, uh, some value-added services that we deploy too, which is a definitely a unique thing for, um, for us. We have a loss control team. Um, we have a claims management team, both on the workers' compensation side and on the property and casualty side. And our job, those, those folks' job, is to work with the safety director of, of our clients or with whoever's in charge of safety. Sometimes that can be the HR manager. It depends on the size of the company to try to create the safest environment that they can. Um, we have uh, our loss control folks deployed to work sites to make sure. And, the, and when we, once we, we have that in, in it allows us to create our job is to sell an account to an underwriter, right? And the underwriter may be in Hartford, Connecticut, or Omaha, Nebraska, or definitely not most of them aren't in Florida. We do have a couple of great regional carriers here that that make it easier to work with. But our job is to sell the account to the underwriter, okay? And to create a feeding frenzy in the marketplace that this is a safe company, this is a company you want. Because the, the insurance risk. companies have to make, make a profit. And with the reinsurance market going bonkers now around the world with all of the worldwide catastrophes that we see, whether it's the fires in Australia or California or earthquakes or hurricanes, it's our job really to say, of all the accounts that are on your desk, this is the one that makes the most sense for you to underwrite, and this is the one you're going to make a profit on um, at the end of the day. And it, 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 the process, that process works quite well, mm -hmm. too. We, we had actually... Um, we write a, a very large home builder in Colorado, and our, our safety and loss control guy was out there this week, flew out to Denver uh, to look at three or four of their new projects that they've got going on. And he called me up and came back and said, hey, you know, we need to do this and we need to look at that just from a safety standpoint. I mean, you can't put a price on that. And it's a value-added service that comes at no additional cost. It's not like, we, you know, we, we're billing the client for it's part of the it's part. It just comes out of our, our commission structure. And it's the right thing to do, and and it's it's it can be you know deemed self-serving because it helps from a retention standpoint. But I like to look at it from the standpoint that it's it's just great for our customers, and it's great to be able. To, it helps me and Pat be able to negotiate better terms and conditions, yeah. and that's huge. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic, and we just want to take a moment to to break in our episode, and first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you, you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com. Or you can visit our website, axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening, and now back to the episode. When you talk about um, 
those those businesses that are kind of uh, I've seen you guys do the quarterly meetings, right? That's that's been a big standout, um, and I've been in those meetings uh, with the clients. We're we're having lunch or we're we're talking about what's been happening in the last ninety days. And it seems like we meet all the time. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. like it really. I mean, ninety days doesn't seem like that frequently. But if you're sitting down with somebody four times a year, one of the things that's that has struck me is um, sometimes it's like how little new information is being shared. Um, but it's because we've been sharing lots of information, sure. right? So it's like there's not these huge annual changes. You no guys surprises were, usually. Yeah, you guys were yeah. part of a conversation about oh, you know. We're we're shifting business from this particular service niche to this particular service niche, and you know that may that may be like an eighteen month process, but during that time, like we've had six meetings <laughs> to yeah. talk about it. So there's nothing like super revelatory. It's just you guys continuing to follow up and like, how's that going? Where's the business at? What's happening now? And maybe just meeting the, the conversation on a claim. Yeah, it may not even be necessarily about the the renewal. Well, and for the business owner too, I've seen the other side because you know the debriefs with the business owner where we're talking about those meetings after they happen, sometimes right after they happen because we're rolling into another meeting. Um, they're getting a lot of value out of those, just understanding what's happening in the marketplace because you guys sure. are kind of bringing some of that insight in. Whether it's a recent court case that's going to affect, you know, the the general appetite for insurers in that particular market. Um, we we talk a lot about auto liability because a lot of our common clients have mm-hmm. fleets out there. And I, I think there's a huge amount of value in delivering that bad news in drips, right? Like you want your client to be educated about what's happening in the market so that you guys at the, at, at the renewal point, you're shoulder to shoulder, right? You're, you're looking at the market going, how can we best attack this market and, and wring as much opportunity or cost savings or upside out of it over the next two to three years that we might be with this particular carrier? And I don't know that that happens a lot. I mean, I can say personally, I haven't seen it happen a lot. Um, but when we get when we move out of kind of the the beginning of the relationship, and you guys have these scheduled meetings, um, just in the ordinary like day to day business world uh, of a, a small business owner, you know, you've got somebody who's running a twenty million dollar company or ten million dollar company, or and you know they have a contractors is one that we've worked on quite a bit. So they they decide to start doing business with a new national home builder and they want this to sign this contract right so we send it to the attorney you know kind of just as a matter of course you know business owners usually don't don't like to sign multi-page contracts without having counsel look at it but should they be sending it to you guys too i mean what's the what is the protocol like how do you see clients interacting with you kind of in day-to-day business situations well, I, like I'll that start with that and keith can take it but uh yesterday got a client new client um sent us one from gm they're, they're, they want us to look at the insurance clause in it. Um, we do it all the time, and it's something that I think, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> we educate our clients to do so as well. We try to get all their, we try to get as, them to send us as many, con- you know, contracts they get just so we can look at the insurance piece. Yeah, I agree 100%. When I started my career, contractual risk transfers, what we're really talking about, wasn't near as, you know, big as it is today. So in addition to not only are myself and Pat looking at the contract. We have an agency risk manager that will also look at the the, the wording. Granted, we're not attorneys, but we'll look at the insurance sections. Um, and some of the times, you the, the, what the risk management um, uh, 
company is or department is looking for, like at a GM, just for instance, you can't buy in the marketplace. So the, the last thing we want to have happen and what we educate our clients to do is when you get a contract before you sign it, please send it to us. Because the la- if you sign this contract and we can't you know, find coverage, then you're going to be in default of it. Or what we're seeing more of is that their terms and conditions and the amount of liability that they're trying to push back on our clients is just unacceptable. The limits that they want are egregious in some cases. That we can't get. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah, that well, potentially we may, we yeah, may, not, may not be, be able, able to buy. So we work with the client to go back and try to negotiate those terms and conditions out. Sometimes we're successful. Sometimes we're not. We'll help but, them craft the email. But or we, the, Oh, yeah, we'll write the emails yeah. behind the scenes and say, okay, send this to the risk <laughs> management department. And uh, let's see what we can do to try to get these terms knocked down. Because if we do have to add, say they have $5 million worth of liability limits and GM wants them to go to 10, that could be an additional $100,000 that they haven't factored into that contract price. Um, And so I think we've done a really good job of educating our clients on that. Um, We've picked up accounts. We picked up the one that Pat just referenced. We picked up because... The, their current agent, um, it was actually with Volkswagen, so it was a different. It was a different one. Their current agent, they sent over the contract. Current agent goes, "Yeah, this looks great." No, I don't really know what to do with. This. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, yeah, this looks fine. I don't really, really don't have any comment. So they, I'm sitting in the meeting. They didn't feel comfortable with that response. So we had been prospecting and we and calling on them. So we get the meeting and I and I looked at the contract and I go, "No, oh, this is not great. <laughs> do not sign this. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to go back and we're going to craft an email. We're going to send this because what they're asking for, we can't buy in the marketplace. You just can't do it. So we did that. Sent the email back. Our account management team did. And we were able to pick up the uh, the account because the client took our email, forwarded it to Volkswagen with all of the breakdown, and Volkswagen agreed to our terms uh, on the contract, and that was a big win. It was, and it was one of the reasons why we got it too. We yeah. had a good relationship with them as well. But you know, I know we've talked about this before with uh, the clients that we share, where you know, like he said, you, you know, it, if they won't budge, you got to look at that and say, is it worth the extra hundred grand right. that I may have to spend? To to uh, you know to buy this right. whatever you're adjust, looking for adjust my pricing exactly. or, or something or walk yeah and those are only options that are there if you're talking about this before you sign on the dotted line hundred right? percent correct yeah, yeah. Uh, the the worst case scenarios are when they're already signed and then we try to unwind them and it's just that's a tough that's a tough situation so I think you've already talked about um, some of the claims management piece which is also unique and and also the um, you know the safety. What, what do you call your guy? The loss control. Loss control. Loss control. Um, and so that you know, those are unique. I know I've, we've we've worked with uh, PEO organizations before who've promised that kind of stuff, and, and they're you know very short on delivering. Um, again, like they tend to promise at renewal time. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so, um, but you know, when when you have a claim, um, for most businesses, I think they're probably fairly infrequent. You know, I mean, larger businesses. Obviously, you're going to have more accidents. You got a hundred vehicles on the road. No, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> you got so. eighty trucks on the road. <laughs> well, yeah, we, uh, we, we've had an it's, interesting run as of yeah. late. But, but yes. So, what is the? Uh, what do you see, uh, kind of out there in the landscape? You know, as I understand it, the way you guys do it, we would call you. 
You know, mm-hmm. first call will be, I'm going to call Keith or Patrick, and then you're going to forward me to whoever on your team is going to be handling the day to day until this is resolved. Uh, but what are the other op- what are other business owners seeing out there? You know, and, and other what is the what is the insurance agent model for handling claims typically look like, and is it any different from the way you guys do it? Typically, what we see is is well, here's the 800 number for the claims department of the insurance company. If, if oh, you have shoot any them questions, straight to the carrier. Yeah, yeah have, if you have any questions, let us let us know. Okay, that's the model that we see, and to me, it's not acceptable um, because. The, the client can't speak the insurance lingo that our claims team can, you know. So our process is we want to know, they have the first notice. Now, on the workers' comp side, it's different, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. The workers' comp carriers require that the client does the first notice. So when it's a comp claim, uh, our process is kind of reversed. The client will call, let's just say it's Zenith Insurance Company here locally that specializes in workers' compensation. Then they let us know. And then we we start managing the claim behind the scenes. Now on the property and casualty side, we take the first notice. So if it's uh, you know if it's a, an auto accident, client reaches out to us, and then we forward it to our claims team. And our claims team is located in Cumberland, Maryland. We actually have two claims headquarters: one's in Nashville, one's in Cumberland. And you know some of our clients, well, why do you have them there? Well, you certainly don't want them in Florida because <laughs> if it's a hurricane comes through, I think it's I Lights think it's out I mean, for your claims team. From there. Yeah, because you know if we get if we get knocked down, and we all remember how scary Hurricane Irma was. I mean, growing up here in Sarasota, that was that was a little too close for comfort. Um, but if our office had been knocked down, uh, it was knocked our power was out for a day. But let's say it's a week. Our clients can still call our Cumberland, Maryland office to file the file um, any any you know losses et cetera, and they can start working on them right away. We're all tied into the same uh, computer system, which is great. A lot of big brokers like um, um, like a CBiz, their offices compete against each other. Our offices all work in conjunction with each other, which is different, and I like that, and that was part of the thing that attracted us uh, to the company. Um, but that's our process. Okay. But a lot of times you just see the, you know, the, the you, you see the, 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 the client trying to handle the claim themselves. And that's, that's tough. You know, well, it, it strikes me that it makes a lot of sense. Um, and you just think about the relationship, right? So we talked earlier, you don't like to change CPAs. You don't like to change bankers. You don't like to change insurance agents very often. And if somebody's, um, you know, they they want to build a long-term relationship with you, they may only be with the carrier for two or three years. Which, which time period may be even shorter just by virtue of the fact that they're filing a claim. So it's like, do I want to, do I want to be handed off to somebody that I may not be with 18 months from now? Or do I want to be handed off to somebody that I'm trying to build a 10, 12, 15-year relationship with? Uh, so it does, it, it, just in, in kind of ballpark, like what percentage of, of insurance agencies out there have managed claims internally like that? Is it like 20%? Is it like 10%? Is it 50-50? That's, that's hard to say. There's so many, and it, it, it never it's ceases to... It's probably 500 I challenge you guys when you drive around to look, and you see insurance, insurance, insurance everywhere. So I'd say that, you know, and, I, and I'm like, well, where did that agency come from? I don't, I've never, never really heard of them. Um, so there's a lot of smaller agents out there. I'd say it's more the norm. That, that here's your 800 number calling in yourself. Just from a resources say, perspective. I'd say 20% of resources. the agents out there do what we do. Okay. Well, it's, not, uh, and, it's and a maybe, maybe revenue that number... generating position too. Right. So if you're a smaller agency, you got to pay these people. If they're not bringing in revenue... That's a very that's, good... That's, 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 that's a great point. 
Um, but I, I, it's definitely you know the norm that they call directly to the carrier. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. Let's let's switch gears and um, talk about OSHA for a second because this is something that with some clients, OSHA is a huge deal. Like they they're on work sites, on job sites that are on you know near near major highways or whatever. You never know when a random OSHA inspector is going to be making his way to lunch and pull over and say, "Let's take a look at the job site." I don't know if that happens or not, but um, but then you've got other businesses that. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have warehouses. Maybe they have, uh, you know, just inventory stock that they're keeping track of, and you know, office team. Uh, maybe they have some people on the road. Maybe they don't. And OSHA is is kind of an afterthought, and you know, some of our, our clients' experience, I think. Um, so, what do you see in terms of? I guess just talk in general about OSHA awareness, like to what extent are most business owners aware of it? If they're in one of those non high risk, like if you're a roofer, you kind of got to be on it. If you're laying concrete block in a work site and you got guys on scaffolding, you probably, you know, have a full-time person who's kind of make, if you're a business of any size, but if, if you just have a warehouse that's got, you know, 15, 20,000 square feet of product in it, um, or you you run a service business like how aware are you of OSHA and how aware should you be of it? Yeah, it's a great question, um, and I would agree. Uh, our construction sector, yeah, they know all about it. Oh <laughs> yeah, they know all about it, and uh, there's 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 no question about that. And of course, it's especially if it's a very unfortunate you know accident or even a death claim, you know, uh, it's just they're beyond aware of it. But if you're, you know, just a Main Street USA type of business, I would tell you that my experience of my career is that they're not really that aware of it. And I think what happens is, is that we'll get a call that OSHA has just come in and and they get freaked out. And the good news is, is that we do have a loss control team led by um, Peter Carvajal, who's the head of our um, loss control division, that if OSHA does come knocking on the door, we can help and we can help steer the process and in you know if there are fines trying to work with the client to 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 minimize those or or step in and help so that gives us a bit of a competitive advantage but i would tell you that they're they're just not as as aware unless something happens unless osha does show up um uh etc uh and then all of a sudden it becomes i said as a freak out well that's you know this is an area that i do have experience with um unfortunately the client that doesn't do the workman's comp stuff uh, with you guys. And they did get an OSHA deal and it was basically, they got a fine and it was basically like rally every internal resource we can to try to make the argument that this is not a systematic, you know, thing that happens in the business. We usually are in compliance and this was just a one-off case. And, but, you know, you're relying on the OSHA, auditor, inspector, whatever, the person who's responsible for deciding whether to mitigate that penalty or not is relying on the information from inside the four walls of the business. And I'm just looking at it from a common sense perspective. It would be a heck of a lot more valuable to say, uh, well, yeah, this business is doing everything that they're said they're doing, but they also are engaged with an insurance agent that has a loss control specialist who also has documentation that they third party documentation that they've been visiting job sites and these are not systemic issues and that they, they do have a safety policy and a training program and we helped them you know evaluate it or in some cases we came and observed the safety meeting so do you see clients taking advantage of that to the to the full extent that they should or what are businesses not doing that they should be doing to engage a third party, whether it's, is it 
are there other options out there besides insurance agencies that can help with like that kind of OSHA assistance? There are. Um, there are companies uh, out there that all they did, they act as the third party safety cons consultant. Um, there's also companies out there that will do mock OSHA inspections. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that, that our clients find that a benefit uh, too. And so, yeah, you see, you, you see, you know, various um, third parties out there in the marketplace that do step up and, and can help outside of just an, you know, an insurance uh, agency's loss control person. Gotcha. There's no doubt about that. Um, because when OSHA comes in and there are fines levied, there, there is a negotiation process that can take place. And I think that that's very important instead of just, you know, rolling over and paying the fine. Especially if you know historically the the account and client has been safe, right. and they're trying to do the right thing, and they've got a safety director, and you know accidents are going to happen. There's no question about it. It's it's always the best defense is is a good offense. I'm a firm believer of, of that. And if the, the our clients, especially the contractors that have the checks and balances in place, and the safety directors, and they're the ones that are very proactive and they're on the job sites a lot, you know they're they're less likely to to have. OSHA knocking on their door. And if they do knock on their door, they're prepared. Um, and, it, you know, but yeah, so our companies, to answer your question out there. What about those non-construction, you know, non-contracting types of businesses, professional practices or product businesses or supply houses? Like, um, who is administering the OSHA compliant? Because these are businesses that we go into, we don't see safety directors. And, you know, if we ask the question, like, well, who's in charge of your OSHA compliance? It's like, oh, well, Sue does payroll and Sue does it. So yeah. is that what you typically see? A hundred percent. hundred percent. It's, it's, it's usually... And the safety uh, manual, manual is, who knows? Right. <laughs> ask them what the safety <laughs> manual is. That's a, that's a great point, too. I, I find that it is, it's like uh, an HR function. Okay. Um, sometimes it falls into the CFOs, the C-suite, but usually it's a, yeah, Susie, Susie, who does payroll also handles our OSHA, OSHA log. And so what should business owners be doing? Is there, cause I know very little about OSHA, but is there, what qualifications should that person have? What kind of, is there ongoing training or continuing education they should be taking advantage of? Like what, or, or is it just kind of a general knowledge and have the regs and do a safety manual and put it on the shelf until you need it? I think it's more of a general knowledge thing in that okay. space. Um, you know, uh, the non-contracting, you know, space where maybe just to be a distributor or somebody that's got a warehouse, you know, it's making sure that if there is an incident, they log it in their OSHA, OSHA logs and, you know, that they have a, a general understanding of, of, you know, OSHA and what's going on um, there, that they do have a safety manual um, that they keep updated. They have a safety committee. I think even... Even if it's a, a company that may have 30, 40 employees and it's a warehouse, they should have a safety team, you know. And, and if they meet once a quarter, that's great. And by the way, if if they have a work comp policy and they're getting a safety credit from the state of Florida, they need to be doing that. And they need to be tracking their minutes and their time, et cetera. It's amazing to me how many companies don't do that. Um, and they still get the credit, you know. And, and I think that that's important, too, is that, you know, it, it starts at the top in any organization. And our, our, the, the clients that we have where the CEO is fully engaged and aware of safety, it works so much better. I mean, it, they, if, that, if it's coming from the top down that we are going to be the safest workplace, and by the way, the reason why we're going to do that is we want your home to your families every night safe and sound. Right. We want a great working environment where you feel comfortable, where you feel safe. And on the workers' compensation side, 
for instance. Um, this over the course past week and a half, we've handed out a hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars in dividend checks yeah. to two different clients yeah. because they've had a safe work environment. Well, I think it's not even just a safe work environment. It's a, it's, it's, it's culture. Be a culture. It's a culture. Exactly. One hundred percent. It's a safety culture, and you know they're especially with the marketplace tightening up on the workers' compensation or even general liability automobile uh, space. The safer you are, the better. Again, it's about telling a story to an underwriter. And if we can say, hey, they have a safety committee and they're meeting and um, they're compliant with OSHA and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it elevates that account and it allows us to be able to negotiate the best terms, pricing, and conditions available in the marketplace. So like, that, that raises a question in my mind is what, what do you have and what do you do with the CEO who's not historically enforced and, and promoted a safe work culture? But they're like... I, I see the benefits. I've missed the boat. I want to get on board, but none of my guys are are interested, or none, none of my team and, and my staff is interested in safety. And they're always like they're comfortable with the status quo. W- what do you recommend? Like, is there a step? Is there a, a way to introduce a safe work culture other than the mandate? Hey, we're now going to be the no, safe workplace. No, we work do it place. all the time. But the the, the what. You know, you can you can talk to to a CEO or a CFO until you're blue in the face about putting together a good safety culture and getting the team on board. But you, typically, what happens? There's a claim. Something happens. Mm-hmm. Someone gets hurt, and then they find religion. And now, oh my gosh, we I thought we had a good safety culture. Well, no, you didn't. We've been talking to you about it for five years. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of times what will happen is it, we, you know some people just don't have a good one. You know? Well, we've helped design that um, with companies. One of the checks we handed out uh, this past week was uh, over $40,000. How we got into the account um, was they had a very high experience mod. It was getting close to a a two, uh, which is double the national average, okay? And we went in, and it was basically a SWOT SWOT analysis of what we're going to do. So I said, okay, who would you designate as your safety director? Well, you know, Charlie over here, he seems to have an interest in it. Okay, so who are we going to build around Charlie? We're going to get in. So we really, this was years ago. This was years in the making. So um, it started with baby steps, and then it got to a full-blown safety committee, and now they're getting checks and excess back. And, by the way, their experience mod has dropped under a one. Wow. Um, and they didn't have a return-to-work program. So we helped develop a return-to-work program with them. Well, well yeah, but, you know, we don't have anything for anybody to do. Well, yeah, you do. And by the way, they can also volunteer at charities. The last thing you want them to do is to be sitting on the couch watching Morgan and Morgan commercials, you know, <laughs> every other minute, or you know, you know, Jodat commercials or whatever. Yeah, but it's funny; those things go on all day during the day. <laughs> that is, yeah. People yeah. are at home. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so and so, you know, it. And if they don't have it, usually it takes some time. You know, as long as it takes you to sometimes get into a problem, it takes you to get out of a problem, right? And so I think that that's, that's one of the things we pride ourselves on. If they don't have anything in place, we certainly have the resources to be able to help them. That includes safety manuals. That includes, you know, either myself going out and, and helping to set up the committee as a certified risk manager, having Peter come over and help set up the committee, and then, you know, monitoring it. And then, and then on the back end, with our claims team, especially in the comp side, trying to get the claims closed out as fast as possible, keep the reserves low and the people back to work so that the mod drops. That's really where you can make your money back uh, is on workers' compensation, no doubt. 
Can you, can you explain a little bit of the going, having them volunteer? Can you elaborate on that and how that helps businesses? Sure. Um, most businesses can find something, you know, for, for the folks to push do. a broom in the warehouse. Or yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Or, you know, the, the whole sorting paper clips. I mean, right. that's yeah. a little micro, right. in, in, <laughs> by the way, that can tick people off. So you, you want, you probably don't want to do that, but I've heard, you know, clients say that I've heard other agents say that, but there are charities that will take, you know, if the, if, if you truly don't have anything to do, it, you, you're, you're a contractor and you have a small, uh, op, you know, office and operation, you know, there are, there are nonprofits out there that have clerical work that if somebody can fit within those restrictions that they, you know, that they can sit in a chair or they can stand up and they can stuff envelopes or, uh, or whatever on behalf of a, of a, of a charity called the, called the Salvation Army, call it Goodwill, call it whoever, you know, that in, in, and they're not sitting at home and you're still being able to pay them. And by the way, you're not paying them out of the indemnity payments of the workers comp, which drives your mod up. Right. So there are companies, there are um, nonprofits out there that will absolutely take volunteers from businesses. Hi, this is Joey Brandon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you, to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. When, when we talk about um, drug-free work- workplace, shift gears a, a little bit, uh, there's a lot of talk about it now just because medical marijuana has become so prevalent. And you've got business owners going, well, like, how does that factor into my drug-free workplace? And I'll just say, for, like, my experience in the past has been uh, we have a drug-free workplace, which means, uh, right, or, right or wrong, legal or not, like, if you look high, I'm going to randomly select you for a drug test. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. um, so now they're going, well, like, what's the, what's the point? What can I do? What can I do if somebody gets a, a marijuana card and they have a, a legal prescription and, and they're, like, can they use on the job? Can I deny them? Can I ask about it during well, Just because the- it's legal. I mean, alcohol is legal, but, you know, you can't sit there and work all day and drink. So you don't have to. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, um, we, we did a, a seminar last year on this topic, and we invited in a, uh, an employment law attorney. Because we're not attorneys, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit uh, uh, about this. And the name of the seminar was After Legislation Comes Litigation, right? Because that's usually what happens. Uh, Patrick and I have the unique perspective of being we were working in Colorado, which was the first state to fully legalize uh, marijuana from memory, I think so, Pat, right? So when it was rec- when it was medically legal and then it went fully legal, we had businesses out there we were working with, contractors out there we were working with. So we were on the cutting edge of this. So when it started moving um, to east, uh, you know and, and, and now in Florida, you know being medically legal, Pat's right. I mean, the, our, one of our big contractors out there took the position of, I know it's 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 legal. 
we have a drug-free workplace. If you test positive, you're out. And that's the way that it is. I mean, they just draw, drew the line in the sand. It was in their human resources manual, and that was their policy, and that's what they enforced. So flash forward to Florida in businesses, and it depends a lot, too, on the industry. That's what we find. We have one that is a um, uh, in the hospitality industry, and they're, they're doing away with their drug-free workplace. And it's a 5% credit on, on your workers' compensation. Um, you know, just, just well, to, they're doing away with it because they, they can't get employees. You know, it's hard enough to get right. employees, and especially some right. of those, you know, industries, you know, uh, restaurants. Um, it's, it's very difficult to get employees, and then if you, if you start drug testing, it's even harder. But in Florida, it's still, there, there hasn't been enough case precedents yet, but there will be. Well, I have my medical card, and therefore, you yep. know, I'm I'm going to sue. You fired me, and I'm I'm going to sue because I, you know, I've got my medical card because I have anxiety or whatnot. Those cases are coming forward. I I, I was of the opinion um, uh, that, and I still am, that you know, John Morgan from Morgan and Morgan was really pushing this, right? Uh, and he was really behind it, and it was under the guise of, well, my brother was sick, and this and that. No, I mean, it, in my opinion, yeah, that might have been part of it, but there's going to be more cases going to Morgan and Morgan employment law cases over this topic. So it's self-serving to some extent. He may, he's not going to agree with that and probably gnash his teeth a little bit, but it's the truth. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that's, that's it. So it's really, it, it's really the employer driven and you're seeing one of the trends is the staffing up of employment law attorneys at some of the bigger firms in, in this area. I can tell you that. They're out aggressively looking for talent because they see these cases coming down the pipe. That that sends shivers down the spine of most business owners when they hear sure. that the the legal profession is staffing up to come after yeah. them. It's <laughs> just, just just this guy's opinion, not trying to scare anybody, but it's you know, you gotta go in you gotta go in eyes wide open. And and at the end of the day, you know, you talk about the CPA relationship. You talk about the attorney relationship. You got to have a good attorney in this day and age. You got to mm-hmm. have somebody that's progressively thinking and looking out for um, your your best interest. That's for sure. Because the the litigious nature of society anymore is really it's, that's a, another thing that has really changed since I started my career. Um, it's the lawsuits that we deal with every every week. Yeah, uh, with our clients is really unbelievable. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about loss control earlier. You're talking about Peter, who's on your team, and, and we talked about him and kind of in the vein of going out to construction sites or work sites and, and kind of kicking the tires and looking around and, you know, is this place safe or not, working with the, com- the company's safety program manager, you know, to, to kind of get them up to speed. When I thought, of, you know, traditionally when I've thought of loss control, like I think of the loss control specialist at Walmart, like whose sole job is to tackle you if you try to leave the store with a 32-inch <laughs> yeah, flat-screen TV. Um, so loss control is theft prevention, you know, in, in a retail environment. But in your world, what what else does loss control look like? What are the opportunities that business owners have to kind of be in the driver's seat in terms of controlling losses? Well, I'll start since you said driver's seat was automobile. Okay. So I, I think that that's, that's big, especially with if you have a fleet of cars on the road or even yesterday we were with a prospective client that doesn't have a fleet of cars, but they have 30 people driving their own cars around, you know, on, on business. Um, so... I think you've got real opportunities uh, to de- for the development of a driver safety program, driver education. It can affect employability. If all of a sudden, you know, I've got yeah, too talk, many. Talk about that because yeah, sure. you said something 
uh, I think it was in front of a, a client of mine. We were in a, at a meeting, and you were talking about not just for employees, but like your family. We, you got to be yeah. talking to your kids about oh, this yeah. stuff. Oh, it hundred percent. So we, we, nationwide, you're seeing um, autom- automobile insurance companies just losing their shirts. You know, there's one here locally. For every dollar they're taking in, they're paying out a dollar thirty, and, and so they're going back. That doesn't right? sound like a very good business model. It's really <laughs> not. It's really no. It's not sustainable. So what what do they do? There's two reactions. One, you increase rates, and two, you scrut well, you scrutinize the the their account, but you more importantly, uh, in, in my opinion, scrutinize the driver. So we're seeing a rash of ex- drivers being excluded. Uh, under policies, and that causes a whole bunch of issues. Um, one, if they can't drive, are they employable? Two, if they're, they're a key, valuable, yeah, if they're a key. And Joey can't drive anymore. What, what do you mean, Joey can't drive anymore? He can't drive anymore. Uh, well, that's not going to work. Yeah. So he what happens? Two million dollars a year in sales. Like, how's he going to do that? Well, how's he going to do it? Well, then do we get Joey a driver, or do exactly. we do we get Joey his own automobile with a separate insurance company, which is a higher expense? And oh, by the way, probably not covered under your umbrella policy. So, you know that that's that's a huge. Um, but, but the the thing that when we teach driver safety courses, and we've done that a lot recently, um, especially with our large fleets, I always try to say to the employees, "Well, what's in it for me?" But what's in it for you is employability number one. You may not be able to work here. By the way, not just here. If you're not here and you go to work at, at roofing company B or you know C, they're not going to hire you either. But it's also hits you hits them personally because all of a sudden if they have a, a child that's got speeding tickets or has been in accidents, they may be in college, they may not have the desire to go to college, and they want to go right into the working world. If they have an adverse driving record, they're not likely to be hired. If you have candidate A with a clean driving record and candidate B that does not have one, candidate A is getting hired 10 times out of 10. And that's really, you know, that that's, that's a real thing. And I, I think that that has resonated, you know, uh, with, with uh, our clients that are willing to allow us to go out and talk with them. So that's one aspect of loss control when you, when you look at loss control. Another one is we have several accounts that have a big public liability exposure where they have thousands of people coming onto their property and their premises. So another area where we're seeing litigation tick up, tick up is on trips, slips, and falls. So um, our loss control team will go in and evaluate uh, the public spaces within an account. And they'll say, oh, this is a trip hazard here. This floor is, is way too slick. We need to do something about that to prevent falls, et cetera. So that's another area of loss control that, that is, is huge, especially when you have multiple. We just got a suit in yesterday on an account that you guys would know here locally um, that's requesting the camera footage from the place. My, my client slipped and fell, and, and we're like, well, holy, yeah, hold on a second. I didn't even know, recognize the attorney firm name. And so th- those, are, those are big issues. And then, of course, you've got loss control bleeds into disaster planning. You know, um, looking at what do you do if a hurricane hits? What do you do if you have a fire, um, et cetera? Active shooter incident, you know, those type of things. So our team, along with us, will work in conjunction of, with re- of reviewing a disaster plan. Um, and if it's a big enough, like uh, we have ma- a very large manufacturer here in town, they have a whole disaster team that if something happens, you know, where are they, how are they going to produce product? You know, that type of thing. And we've worked very closely with them 
uh, to make sure that we're covering all the all the bases there. Maybe that's a good area for us to to spend a little bit of time on as we wrap up. Is uh, we are here in Southwest Florida, you know, and and we're we're on the eve of another hurricane season. We're already starting to hear what the predictions are for is it going to be a a big storm year, medium storm year, you know, and and that will only intensify <laughs> for the next ninety days. And so we're very kind of in tune to the seasonal disaster that could be on our doorstep every year. Uh, to what extent do you find businesses prepared? Like in this area, it's obviously hurricanes, but you guys do work all over the country where there's different varieties, whether it's tornadoes or earthquakes or, or whatever. Um, do you find that the average business owner out there, let's just say a $20 million business, you know, so it's, it's maybe it's got a hundred employees or more, um, it's got a pretty substantial facility. And do you find that they have disaster plans in place? Do they have contingency plans in place? Do they have insurance coverage to help them out? Do they have the cash reserve? Are they trying to weather it on their own? Like, what are you, what are you seeing out there with the businesses you look at? Well, I, I think it's getting better. It's in the same drawer that the safety manual's in. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. 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 It's only as good as practicing, too. Right. You, know, yeah, you can have a great I, disaster plan, but if you're not practicing from time to time, it's not right. doing you any good. I think it's getting better. I think um, Hurricane Irma yeah. really put the, scare, in, put totally the scare into some companies. But I think it really depends on the class of business, too, a lot. If you know you're uh, a single-location, large manufacturer and you've got 300, 400 employees, you're going to have a disaster plan. You're going to have a safety manager. You're going to have a disaster team. But there are some of our, our, our clients that are contractors that, are, you know, that, that may not you know, have one that's as detailed because they know that, well, we'll protect our vehicles as much as possible. If I'm a roofer, I'm going to be out the next day roofing houses, you right, know, that type right. of thing. So I think, it can, I think it can go by class of business. But I do think, folks, are, it, it's definitely – you know, I'm not waxing political here or anything like that, but the storms and climate change, um, the storms, to me, growing up in Florida, have gotten bigger and stronger. And I think the good news is, is that a lot of the new construction that we're seeing in this area and in the state of Florida, where we get 700 to 1,000 families moving here a day, those are the stats that I heard recently. So the new construction, the building codes definitely are, are much, much better. You've got companies here locally like a PGT window that is really designing some fantastic stuff that's going into to homes. The, the, so the, the newer structures are great. I mean, we had an account um, that Hurricane Irma went right over uh, in Summerlin Key, but it was the place was just built like a fortress, and it didn't take any damage really whatsoever just because it was brand new and it was built to code. My concern is those areas like a Sarasota, or you look at a Pinellas County that's a, a peninsula on a peninsula right. that has not taken a direct hit Tampa Bay in a long time. Those are the those are the, the areas, in my opinion, that if those if those companies don't have strong disaster plans because you know the structures for the, can be older, that's that's problematic. They really need to take a look at that because if the if the big one or even a little one comes in and hits in in certain areas of the state, you're going to see some pretty bad. Uh, you mentioned disaster. earlier uh, like business interruption insurance and is that 
is do business owners pay attention to that? Do most of your clients have business interruption insurance? Did they have it before? If they do, do they have it before you advise them to get it? Like, what is the state of that, and like, how much is enough? And what do you what do you typically use as rules of thumb to figure out what you need? Well, we always use the roadmap of um, with every you know renewal. I, I'd like to see our clients at least look at a business income worksheet, which can really lay out here what what are your revenues what are your what are your expenses you know the the toughest thing about business income is it really depends on the severity of the disaster right you know uh, it can be an expensive coverage so it's a balance it ties directly into with what your disaster plan is how long how long is it going to take you to get back up and running how fast can you get back up and running and that's really the the key i i will i will tell you that the good business owners are the ones that are looking at their business income limits and they're evaluating it every year. Um, I think it also depends on class of business also. Because if it's a contractor, again, it's a roofing contractor that can pretty much work from, from anywhere as long as they have their supplies. I mean, I think that that number may not be as big as that single family or, sing, or single location uh, manufacturer where that's all they've got. They've got to have a higher business income number. I will tell you, when we take over an account, that is one of the number one things we look at, and usually it's really underinsured, and we try to find a balance that makes sense, that the, comp- that the company can afford that number and that we're all in agreement, and that we work back with our, our team to try to make sure the disaster plan's as tight as possible. Um, but it definitely, with, with Hurricane Charlie in Punta Gorda, took companies out. Yeah. They were mm-hmm. ill prepared for it. Uh, we saw that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's definitely a very important coverage that is something that we stress tremendously. Yeah, I think what you said about class of business is important. You know, like for our work, we're, we're consulting, right? So if we had a major, we had a category three, four storm or, or higher come through here, Nobody needs a consultant for like 90 days, right? They've <laughs> yeah, got bigger yeah, fish to yeah, fry. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but if you're a roofer, like so one of our clients is a pretty big roofer, and Correct. they you can see it in the numbers, the work for the 18 months following Irma. Oh yeah, you know it's great for business uh, as long as you've done Correct. what you can, to, you know, to get back in the market quickly. Um, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, like restaurants being shut down for like two weeks because people evacuated to Georgia and, you know, they couldn't get back, you know, they they couldn't get back into the state, couldn't find gas. And if we look at a business and we go, you know, how much, how much cash do you have on hand just in terms of the number of days worth of overhead and take your total overhead expense for the year divided by 365 and go, Oh, you got 30 days worth of cash on hand. Right. And you go two weeks without a workforce and you know you're, you may, you may not be paying payroll because you furloughed people, but you're still having to make your rent payments. You're Correct. still having to pay all your payables that have been outstanding for the liquor Correct. you served 30 days ago. Um, and you know I I don't know how well some of those businesses are equipped. We're I, I heard a story yesterday. Uh, coronavirus is you know it's oh, yeah. there's lots of stuff going on and. Um, a friend of mine was was talking about a business that is one of his customers that uh, gets all of their their raw material from China and the the factory is a ghost town like four people out of like 40 employees are working Correct. and they're kind of on the precipice like they didn't they didn't have a good plan for this and they're kind of knife edge in terms of cash reserves it sounds like anyway and 
it, it only takes a hiccup at that point. It doesn't take a storm. Correct. You know, it takes the threat of a storm maybe to drive you out of business. The, the coronavirus, um, and, and we're already fielding questions on that. You know, how does business income trigger in, in, this, in, in this and that? And it's no different than the red tide right. a couple of years ago. I right. mean, you know, what, which was terrible here. You know, you've got to look at it that way. You can't depend on business income for that. Those, those restaurants weren't paid. There was no direct physical loss or damage to the structure, which is usually the trigger yeah. point, right? People just stop going out to eat, right. which but, is kind of what we're looking, we're staring in the face now. A hundred percent. And the so, Keys was a, was a ghost town with yeah. Red Tide a couple years ago. So, you know, it, that, one, that one is going to be a game changer, I think, in the marketplace. You know, it, it really will be. Now, what that means, I don't know. Um, I know that there's already you're already seeing the insurance service office, which is basically the creator of all the insurance forms. Now there's endorsements and exclusions that go on the policy that we talked about earlier, trying to step forward with a policy form to address this. Then there's also talk about is the you know will the government step in if it becomes bad enough and have and, and mandate the insurance companies to pay. Business income loss. That doesn't sound like a very good idea. I don't know. I'm just knowing that these are things that are being kicked around that, that I'm that I'm hearing that you're reading that I'm reading in articles. We're, we're having to rapidly get ourselves caught up to to speed on that. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think that that's going to happen, but it's being talked about in the marketplace. Sure. And that's you know that's when you're looking at. And we've talked about this before, um, Joey. That that the concept of on the larger companies and maybe not so much larger anymore the concept of a chief risk officer that sits in the, the leadership meetings right next to the CEO and CFO to address risks like this. Who would have thought that this would have gone, you know, they're hoping that it fizzles out over the summer, but will it? I, yeah. I don't know. You know, when it warms up, I don't know. So that, that it's going to be an interesting one. That may be one we have to come back and talk about yeah. next year once we see that, how this thing all shakes out. Yeah, we, we're running long on time, but I, d I did want, if people don't want to listen, they can pause it and catch it on the ride they home. Can start or over. But, uh, but we, we mentioned something earlier, and I'd be remiss if I didn't come back to it because it has become huge, uh, and that is cyber liability. And oh, yeah. you, know, you can talk about different classes of business. You know, disaster plan is more relevant for this business than another. But cyber liability seems to be the thing that is now touching businesses across the board. It almost doesn't matter what industry, doesn't yes. matter what size, doesn't matter. And so talk, what are you seeing there? Um, Patrick, you were saying that a lot of times people don't find religion until yeah. they've had a loss. Like, you I mean, can't believe how many times we meet, meet with a client and they're like, eh, we don't really need that. Uh, we don't take credit cards or, you know, they'll, they'll make up an excuse but uh, of why they don't need it until something happens. That could be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> I mean, I, I can talk about cyber and I know we're running up, you know, running up, up on time, but I could talk about cyber for a long time. Um, we had one of our insurance company partners just breach through a vendor, which was like, uh, Target, which is what happened to Target. Oh, right, right. And I was like, wow. You know, they were down for three or four days. No email, no, no like, nothing. where have you been, guys? You know, and, and they was uh, ransom, yep. uh, ransomware. Hey, we're in your system. We've got all this information. Send us, you know, 250000 in Bitcoin or yeah. we're taking it. And that's really the biggest challenge that we see right now is that ransomware. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Well, we've seen situations. We heard about a situation um, where clients said, "Yeah, we we got hit with ransomware, and uh, and we just restored a backup." And and you go, okay, but 
Definitely. You're back up and running, but what information do they have? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and there's some pretty stiff penalties out there. Um, if you get hacked and people get your customer's information and you don't let the customers know, you don't report it. And, you know, I think for, for a lot of businesses, they don't have cyber liability coverage. If you have cyber liability coverage, from what I've heard, it tends to be some of the best money you can spend. It's kind of a bargain in terms of... It's not that expensive. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Really, but, Again, yeah. it's, it goes back to the concept of the best defense is a good offense. Yeah. Um, if you have good IT you know, department and good IT checks and balances, then the pricing is not that bad. It's pretty competitive. And, and you know, what we find sometimes is that the CFO will complete the cyber application and not knowing yeah. what, and then the pricing could be $25,000. And he's like, well, you know, well, maybe I should have the IT complete it. Make it, <laughs> right. it goes down to 5000 right. you know? So there's, there's, um, it, it's, it's an indication, uh, we talk about it all the time, and for the, for the most part, we put an indication in every proposal that does not have cyber coverage. This is what the cost is. Because I'm of the opinion it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're going to be breached, and it's a matter of you know, how, you, how you react to that. And it is the best money that you can, that you can spend, that, that's for sure. There's absolutely no conversations we have with a client that it's not brought up. Yeah. Almost... Always. Well, we, I have a friend of mine, um, his business ran into this. It was basically through an email spiffing campaign. Yep. And yep. Uh, it was $100,000 out of the gate, just in the legal costs and the yes. the investigatory costs. And they had a policy. And they didn't, so they didn't sweat it. Now, they, they, they had to figure out, like, what does prudent notice look like to our customers? And, Correct. You know, how much business might we lose and how we handle this? But they're very proactive but in my mind, they were able to be proactive because they had an insurance policy. Yeah. And they had the financial resource. The financial question wasn't the question. It wasn't like, because I mean, they were covered up to like a million, million and a half bucks or so. And the claim was never going to get past, you know, a few hundred thousand. But if you're a small business owner, $100,000 out of the gate, you know, if you're sitting on sure. 30 days worth of cash reserves, for a lot of businesses, that ain't, you know, that's, that's, going to take years to make that back. Well, you don't have the coverage, and then you, you have to pay for all that, and then find religion and want to get the coverage, it's not going to be right. cheap. You have, to, right. you have to disclose the claim. Right. That's right. You know, and, and the application becomes part of the policy right. type of thing. The, the biggest thing that we see outside of the ransom right now is the phishing scams. Is, you oh, know, yeah. um, Joey sends Devin an email, and it's, it's fake. You know, wire transfer this money um, right. to this account, $10,000 or $100,000 and boof, spoof, it's gone. Yeah. You know? We had one here at the, uh, the local scoreboard a few years ago yeah. where they, somebody's like, hey, send me all the W-2s <laughs> yes. from last year. Yes. Yes. And they sent like 10,000 W-2s, every school teacher, every janitor, every principal. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we had clients that, you know, basically couldn't file. They were finding out our clients couldn't file tax returns because somebody had already filed a tax that's return, right. and that's where all the information came it's from. It's crazy. You're 100% right. And it, that, I forgot about that one. I don't, I don't, you can forget about that one. It was a pretty big one. But, yeah, and it, it, that, that I could tell you is a whole – we could, I could talk about the it. The sophistication yeah, of, that's, of, the, of well, so these there, people doing this. We talk about loss now. control. That's a great one because you know, we have clients that have hired companies to basically yes. send the emails and yep. see who clicks on them. And guess what? If you click, you just volunteered to get educated. Like you're, <laughs> yes. you're going to a workshop on what emails to click on and what well, ones not to yeah, click on. It's very similar to what we were talking about with the third parties and in, in, in working with Ocean, right? 
those companies are fantastic, and we highly recommend that our clients engage companies like that. Um, and it always makes me happy when I hear a client that is or prospect that's proactively doing that. Because you're right, you click on it, guess what? Education yeah. time. And it's, it's, it's good. That's, that's a good thing in training people not to do it because it's just so easy. Well, I think one to of click th- on an attachment and then all of a sudden yeah. it's game over. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of people are being proactive because find a business owner that hasn't already had this happen to them. Yeah. Some one of these phishing scams or whatever. They all, every time we have a meeting, yeah, I get this every dang day. We're good, you know. We we we've got people that are that are checking. We're training and all this. I've never had a meeting where someone goes, I don't know even what you're talking about. Right. It's become more. It's m- a very well publicized in this day and age. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, we appreciate you coming in, Keith and Patrick. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, sharing your wisdom yeah, thank and you. knowledge, and yeah. thanks for helping our clients. I mean, I just say we say it a lot, but I'll say thanks again because you guys uh, really bring a whole um, a whole new set of tools to our toolbox when it comes to being able to help clients. So, it's, well, thank you. We we greatly appreciate the relationship with you all, and and it's been fun. It's good when you can have a good partnership and also have fun along. Awesome. We appreciate you guys. Well, thanks for having us on today. And what I said in the beginning, too, you know, we like to have fun. We, you know, joke around with each other quite a bit and have a good time, but we take it very seriously. And thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye.